As a country, we just celebrated the 4th of July. And with the 4th of July comes America's favorite pastime of explosives. Now, whenever you walk outside, you would smell the sulfur in the air. We would question whether that was a gunshot or a firecracker. And mostly, we love seeing the fireworks pepper the night sky. And like many of you, me and my wife wanted to see some pretty fireworks this year. And we know that Harlandsdale Farms has a really beautiful show every year. But we also didn't want to sit in traffic for super long because we got caught in that one year. So uh, me and my wife were driving around the area trying to find a little pull-off point that we wouldn't get stuck in traffic. And this is as the fireworks were going off. And it was a little harder than we thought. And we progressively got more and more snippy with each other as we were trying to find a good spot to park. And eventually we found this spot that had a big open field and there were a lot of other people there and people were parking on the street and there was a spot that we could park on the street right behind the last person in line. So this is, remember this is while the fireworks are going off already. So I pull up, park, turn off the car because I don't want the car to be a distraction to the people who were watching on the sidewalk or the people in the field that our headlights are just blaring. And so I turn off the car. That immediately starts to trigger a little uh, frustration and anxiety from Abby because she's afraid with our lights off, is a car gonna drive by this road and see us and potentially hit us? And I don't understand why she was so frustrated by me wanting to be considerate of other people around me. Um, she might interpret that a little bit differently, something about safety, I don't know. That's neither here nor there. But I was afraid to turn on the car and figure out if there was a way that we could turn the taillights on and keep the headlights off. Turned out there's really not a way to do that. So that was a big argument. And let me just tell you, the fireworks inside the car were more spectacular than that outside the car. It was a, a wonderful spectacle for sure. But both of us were insistent on our way to a fault. And aren't we like that as humans? Don't we insist on our way or insist on our preferences for things? Even in situations where we may know that our idea was wrong or is wrong, we still believe that we should go with our idea because we're stubborn, <laughs> because we think our way is the best. Or maybe some of you are like me and you subconsciously refer to the highway as the my way because I will always make sure that I'm getting as fast as I can to a place. And there was in the book that I read, Canoeing the Mountains, it's on church leadership. There was a part of that book that talked about how as humans, whenever we are faced with a change, our preferences or die situation in a, in a medical sense, like if you're given the choice of stop drinking or you will die, stop smoking or you will die, stop eating ice cream or you will die. 90% of the time, humans choose die. <laughs> I love my life, but I really love ice cream, right? That's normally the way that we think about it. And as humans, we live by the motto of the great philosophers, the Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. And I'll tell you why. It's because Pride, there we go, that was, some people got that. Uh, certainly pride has something to do with it, I think. Also, I would say 
there's a level of comfort that we want to maintain because what, what's comfortable is what is familiar to us and our way hasn't failed us yet. But I'd say at least partially, maybe mostly, it comes from a lack of concern, an apathy that we have towards the needs of other people. We live in a culture where individualism is one of our favorite gods. We worship it. Every commercial that you see is about how you as an individual can enhance your own life. Even those annoying Burger King commercials that literally the slogan is have it your way, you rule, right? We, we are bombarded with these messages all the time. And one of the most common phrases that you hear people talk about is live your truth. Or this is my truth. I'm speaking my truth. We are insistent upon our way. We are insistent on our preference, what we believe to be true about ourselves. And all of us do this to some extent. I mean, all of us are largely driven by our desires. We're driven by the things that we want to do. And whenever that desire, the desire of my heart, whenever that is to only look out for myself, it creates a lack of concern for other people. And it's no surprise that church leaderships and church memberships are more consumeristic and expecting of a church to fill their needs exactly as they want it to happen. And I believe that that tendency that we have as humans to look out for ourselves and for our own preferences above everything else is harming the mission of God severely. And it's a problem that we're going to look square at today. We're going through a series on Acts called Church on Fire, where we're looking at how spirit-empowered people of God took the good news of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, to the world. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 15. At this point in the book of Acts, the kingdom message is starting to spread. And Gentiles are accepting Jesus and are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is creating some tension, creating some questions for Jewish Christians, to what degree do Gentiles need to follow the law? To what degree do they need to follow our traditions and our ways? And that's where we're going to pick up today in verse 1. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So, I will say in terms of a conversion ritual, that has got to be one of the most traumatizing and weird things imaginable <laughs> for people to uh, have to become a believer is for them to be circumcised. But that, is, that was a thing that in Jewish culture was a part of the covenant of God. It was a part of their tradition and a part of their ways. So this dispute, it led Paul and Barnabas to spend some time with church leaders trying to argue and hash out exactly how, how much, to what degree, do Gentiles need to follow the Mosaic law. And as they arrive, they share with the church in Jerusalem that the Gentiles have been converted and have received the Holy Spirit, and the church in Jerusalem celebrates that. And we pick back up in verse 5, it says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So those coming from the tradition of the Pharisees who are now Christ's followers are saying, we need to make sure our traditions are intact. I was raised this way. This is how it's been for people of God, and this is how it should be for them as well. 
In verse 6, it says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, so this was not like a hasty choice, this was a deliberate, we're getting together and talking about this. Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And as we've talked about before, God's mission is for the whole world. It's not just for the Jewish people. He is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, as long as you love him. That's another Backstreet Boys reference. Um, But in verse 10, it says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So Peter, out of a growing concern and growing love that he has for his newfound Gentile brothers and sisters, he raises a good point. Are we going to force our way on these people whenever we ourselves have not even been able to follow this? Are we going to give them a yoke of slavery that they're going to have to uphold this thing whenever we ourselves can't do it? And I love that imagery of a yoke. In ancient times, a yoke was this wooden device that was normally placed on oxen or other livestock, and it was to cultivate the land or to carry a big burden. And Jesus uses this teaching a couple times metaphorically in his ministry. And one of the cases that that happens is in Matthew 23 and verse 4. Whenever he's actually talking about teachers of the law, he says this, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Imagine how much more difficult it would be if you were operating with trying to get stuff done with that wooden device around your neck or bearing a huge burden. It's a challenge. And that's what's happening to the church in Acts 15. And Jesus, another part in his ministry, he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light, that he is actually helping shoulder some of this load. He is not giving us something that is a burden. He is giving us something that is freeing. But here, with the, some of the Jewish party of the church, they were trying to insist on their way, and that was going to create a heavy burden for these Gentiles to carry. And after debate and deliberation, this is what the church decided upon. In verse 19, it says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So these early Christians, they didn't want to burden the Gentiles with unnecessary things. And they instead gave them these three things to do. And this is not to say that they weren't supposed to do anything else, like if you follow these things, check, you're a Jesus follower. They're still supposed to walk and live in the way of Jesus. But these are just particularly relevant asks of them for Jew and Gentile relations. It would have been a huge stumbling block for their Jewish brothers and sisters for them to eat food sacrificed to idols, even though that's not as big of a deal, um, unless they were participating in the worship part of it in that culture. 
and they were to abstain from sexual immorality, which if you read 1 Corinthians, you know how rampant that was in pagan Gentile culture. And they were to abstain from eating strangled animals and from blood. And Jews, they were not supposed to eat more than the volume of an olive amount of blood in the stuff that they were eating. So this was all for the sake of unity. This is for the sake of Jew and Gentile relations being good. So as the Jews were not to be insistent on their way to have the Gentiles completely follow the law of Moses, now the church is asking of the Gentiles to not partake in these things for the sake of their Jewish brothers. So they send a letter to the churches, the leadership in Jerusalem, sends a letter to the churches directly dealing with this conflict. And near the end of that letter, it says this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And it's those ones that we just talked about. It's important to notice here that the early followers of Jesus were so reliant on the Holy Spirit. They collectively discerned with the Holy Spirit to make decisions like this. I think it's important for us as Christians to try to be listening to the voice of God, to be listening to the presence of God, listening to the Holy Spirit as we make decisions. And then it ends out in verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message, which I imagine you would be very glad if the amount of laws or rules that you have to follow drops from 613 down to like three or four. That's way easier. But there is so much here for us today, church. There is so much that we can learn from Acts 15 and more than we have time to get into today. But one thing that I think is necessary for us to note is that the early church let the mission of God triumph over their traditions. Though some people wanted to be insistent on their way, the way that we've always done things around here, the early church said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden them with things that are not necessary. And that's all for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's all for the sake of the Gentiles who are in the process of turning to God. To remove as many barriers as possible for them. And I believe that we as a church, we need to learn from the early church in this. That we must seek to unburden our neighbors because of our burden for them. Because of our concern for them. That we seek to remove as many barriers that stand between Jesus and them as possible. And a lot of times, that's us. We become the barrier. And I pray that we do not prioritize our own preferences to the detriment of the other. What does that mean? That means that we as a church must examine our own lives and question, what am I doing? What am I forcing my way in? that is creating a barrier for other people, hindering their ability to know Jesus. This is no small thing. This is extremely serious, and there's a lot of levels to this. I'll give you a smaller example first. Whenever I was growing up, I had a family that was a family friend of our family, and I played basketball with uh, one of the sons of this family. And we invited them to come to church. And they didn't come to church for a long time because they said they feel like they don't have the clothes to wear. They don't have nice clothes. That just made me so mad. Not at them. 
made me mad that we have had a culture that said you have to wear your absolute best stuff, that you have to have nice clothes to be accepted and welcome here. And eventually they were able to get some uh, thrifted, nicer clothes to come, and, and that was great. And I'm not exaggerating this, guy. Since I've been here, there have been three people I've talked to, three individuals, who said they would want to come to Fourth Avenue, but they don't have the clothes for it. And it just makes me so mad. And I told them, I was like, wear what you're wearing. <laughs> wear what you're wearing today. Whatever clothes that you have, please <laughs> wear it. But it's hard for me to say that in good conscience whenever I know I'm not modeling that. That I'm wearing slacks and a button down every week. In some ways, I think even the clothes that we wear can be a barrier for people to feel like they can come here and belong. That they have a place here. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wearing, like if you guys want to wear tuxedos, three-piece suits, whatever, do it. If you're doing it for the glory of God. If you're doing it to give God your best, that is God-honoring, that is beautiful. Also, if you're somebody who wants to wear what you would normally wear on a Saturday, lounging around the house and you come here, please do it. Because if people are coming and bringing their authentic selves to church, that is actually creating a come-as-you-are culture. So come as you are. <laughs> and, and don't worry about what you wear or how people are going to perceive of you. We've got to get rid of that. We need to be a place where people can come here and feel like, without hesitation, it doesn't matter what I wear, that I am loved, I'm accepted. Also, I heard of a congregational member at a different church complaining about all of the cigarette butts that were in the parking lot because there were AA meetings that were happening before church. And the minister of this church told this member, I pray that our parking lots are full of cigarette butts. Because you might look at that and see that's trash. I look at that and say that's progress. That is one step closer to knowing Jesus. And I pray that that's true for us. I pray that our parking lots are littered with cigarette butts. And I also heard a minister say that their church members were really wanting diversity. We want to see more diversity in our pews. But the moment that this church started changing the worship style to be more accommodating, to help different ethnicities connect with God better, those same members started complaining about the worship style. They may want diversity, but not at the cost of personal preference. How many times have people left the church how many times have churches been split apart because people have been insistent on their preference? Insistent on their way. And since there have been so many different kinds of churches and we live in a culture of such consumerism, we have been pumping out Jesus followers that ask, what's in it for me as opposed to how can I help? This mission of bringing heaven down to earth is too important. It is too important for us to be insistent on our way. We need to have the Holy Spirit rewire our thinking, rewire our hearts, to have a heart that is burdened by our neighbors who do not yet know Jesus. That we think missionally about everything 
that we do, even down to the socks we pick out in the morning. Because here's the truth, we are Christ's ambassadors. That means we are representing Jesus. And that means we need to take following him very seriously. Because if we live our lives misrepresenting Jesus, then we are actually putting barriers in the way of people coming to know God. Because here's the truth. If you say that you're a Christian and you are a boss of a company and you are acting really harshly to your employees, you are misrepresenting Christ. You are actually putting up barriers between them and Jesus. If you're a Christian and you are at a restaurant and you refuse to tip a waiter or waitress because they didn't get things to you very timely or because they maybe messed up your order or something, you are misrepresenting Jesus. And if I'm not, that's not me to you guys. If you are a pastor who has a, a moral failing I've seen so many instances where that has just torn apart a church and made so many people turn away from God. This is not a small thing. The way that we live our lives, if we are living in a way that is misrepresenting Jesus, we are putting up barriers between Jesus and that person. And I don't know about y'all, but I, I've heard a lot of people, and maybe this is just an age thing, I don't know, but a lot of my friends who do not believe in Jesus, do not believe in God, don't want anything to do with the church, not for any theological reason, but because they had a bad experience with church people. Because there were some people that were acting very hypocritical. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a good reason to not believe in Jesus. I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. But it is a popular reason. And there's no way to get around that. Our life our preferences can actually be hindering our witness to the world. And I pray that, church, we don't settle for that. That we be a church that does anything short of sin to help the lost come to know about Jesus. And if that means, for whatever reason, if we have to change the worship style to clogging, <laughs> so be it. If that means I don't preach another Sunday or I have to start preaching by walking up and down the aisles and making awkward eye contact with everybody, so be it. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> if that means that we have to get a guy outside that does balloon animals for people when they walk in, for whatever reason, if that works, let's do it, right? And whenever we don't get our way in how things should be, as I've said before, we can all be equally disappointed together. And that is the beauty of church. So this morning, let's ask the Holy Spirit to identify and remove the barriers that are in our own life that are creating stumbling blocks for people who are turning to God. How can I help my friend? How can I help my neighbor, my family make that first step into surrendering to Christ easier? Because this is the most important mission in the world. There is nothing more important than people coming to know and being formed by the living Christ. Can you imagine the impact, the kingdom impact we can have as a church if we all were living with the commitment to the mission of God above everything else, even over our preferences? That the complaints we hear aren't about the AC in the room or the aesthetics of the building, but the complaints we hear is why aren't we making more disciples? 
What if we had a common goal to destroy barriers and build bridges together? It's hard. And I'm sure everybody's going to have a different opinion on how to do it. But there is no limit to what can happen if we do this together. We can be a church where those who feel like they don't have nice clothes can come without hesitation and feel like they are welcomed and loved here. We can be a church that has parking lots littered with cigarette butts. We can be a church that is multi-ethnic and fill this whole room. But more importantly, we can fill the streets of Franklin with people who live and look like Jesus. What a force we can be. I've spent a lot of time with Jesus over the past few weeks. And it was just so good for so many reasons. And it helped me see so clearly about what this next year should be for our church. And it's two interrelated things. The first is that we as a church develop a hunger for the mission of God that we care about the Great Commission, that we take that seriously. We take seriously, like what Emily talked about in her Acts 2 sermon, being a church that looks like Acts 2, <laughs> that is looking to the needs of one another and being hospitable, that we take God's mission seriously. And the second thing is that all of us, individually as people, all of us take our spiritual formation into Christ-likeness as the most important thing in our lives. Because it's going to be really hard to convince other people to come join this Jesus train whenever you're not experiencing much from him yourself. So in my sermons moving forward, I'm going to talk a lot about mission. I'm going to talk a lot about formation because I think it is vitally important. And I'm even going to try at the end of every one of my sermons, I shouldn't have said that, at the end of most of my sermons, to have an opportunity for people to come encounter the presence of God. Where we're going to do a spiritual practice together. Where we're going to invite God to speak into our lives. And that's what we're going to do to close out today. I'm going to lead us in a listening prayer. In other words, I'm going to uh, pray a prayer and give space for God to speak to your hearts today. To speak into your life. And after that prayer, if you would like more prayer about something that's going on in your life, if you need prayers about healing or celebration or whatever it is, or if you would like to give your life to Jesus and be baptized today, whatever it is, I ask that you would go to the people who are going to be around the room and pray with them, and we will try to help you in whatever way that we can. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you place a burden on our hearts today. Place a burden on our hearts for the people that don't know you, that you love so dearly. Lord, I pray that you even help us identify those people in our lives right now. Who is somebody in our life that you are specifically wanting us to love, show the love of Christ to. And Lord, in our own lives, I pray that you help us in this moment right now speak into 
a barrier in our life that we may not be aware of or that we're neglecting. Help us identify a barrier in our own life that needs to be removed. Lord, I pray freedom from that barrier. I pray freedom and release of the yoke of slavery of whatever that is in our life. May we, as a church, remove barriers, as many barriers as we can as a group and as individuals, and build bridges with the people in our community that do not know Jesus. In Jesus' holy name, may it be so. Amen.